And uh, I must say from our hearts, Evelyn and I were speaking that we said we feel so one with you folks here and we feel the same spirit. And uh, I really believe that it's not so much what we impart into our, ha- our heads that matter, it's the revelation to our heart. And I believe the Holy Spirit will actually work in our hearts this morning as we trust him because of ourselves we can do nothing. We trust the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that there will be a deposit left. In Italy, where we ministered quite a lot, the leaders over there in, in Rome and in the other cities where we've gone, like uh, we started in uh, Milan, didn't we? And uh, we had 1,500 leaders in Milan. And uh, they said, the leaders said, after the event was over, we felt like a deposit had been left in our hearts. And that is a really wonderful compliment to the Lord. Because we couldn't do that. It's the Holy Spirit. Leave something in people that lives on and lives on and lives on. So thank you so much for the invitation. And I do believe we have a divine connection. So I'm going to speak uh, in a moment about life-giving under the heading pain into gain. Because life-giving leadership always turns pain into gain. And we never lose the pain of our disappointments. If we continue to walk in faith, God will turn our pain that we've suffered into the gain of others who learn from our mistakes or maybe learn from what we've come through. But one thing is sure, the Holy Spirit's among us. And he is going to edify us this morning. So could we just pray for a moment? Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for divine connections. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing yourself to us in our spirits as we just allow you to speak through us and share fellowship together. And we pray that transformation will happen, that those that may have come through storms and suffered pain will be healed and lifted and strengthened and empowered to become life-giving leaders more than ever. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, just to quickly mention, uh, you, you are welcome to go and have a copy of the book. Uh, it's really a testimony to the grace of God. It's entitled, What Do You Mean It's Impossible? Because I come from a country who can be quite negative. Ireland can be quite negative, And they tell you, well, you can't do that in this country. So when we started off in the healthcare field way back in 1968, I said it may work in England, but it won't work in Ireland, and it's impossible. And we were we were pioneering something that was brand new, uh, private healthcare in those days. So it's an encouraging story of the grace of God, and the purpose of it is to bring glory to His name because we want no glory; we want Him to have all the glory. And then there's a couple of little hope builders, sights, sounds, and seasons. There's one which is encouraging. It's not over. Sometimes bad things happen, like when Evelyn was told she had days left to live with cancer. And I was told I had a cancerous tumor uh, all those years ago. And, and other financial challenges where it looked like it was over. But God says it's not over. So be encouraged with that. And that's about new seasons. And this is one. Give it over and get on. Don't park at your problems. God has a plan. 
uh, every problem we face, God had a plan before it ever came. And so I hope you'll take these and be edified. Followers who finish, many times people start off well, but they miss out. But you don't have to give up just because you have a setback. Because many of us know that our setbacks can be God's setups for a brand new day. Okay. I would like to just share a scripture with you. Uh, it's very well known scripture. Philippines chapter 3, 2 verses 7 and 8. Paul is speaking and he is saying about the transformation he had. And he said, Whatever was for my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. In the next verse he says, I count everything but loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as rubbish that I may win Christ. You're familiar about Paul's life before he came to meet the Lord, how he was full of rage and anger. He was like a terrorist. We've seen a lot of terrorists in Northern Ireland. And he was a very angry man. And he was going about to have Christians imprisoned. And he was trying to make havoc of the church. But he had that divine encounter that changed the life. He'd been brought up in a very traditional Jewish way and he was very highly educated. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he sat at the feet of the best teachers. But he said, whenever I met Jesus, all of that gain, I can't but lost. So in other words, he said, God turned the pain of all I came through into gain for the kingdom and for the benefit of others. And we are benefiting still today because of a life-giving leader in Paul. And we are all life-giving leaders. Mothers, you're life-giving leaders. All of us are called to be life-giving leaders. A lot of people drain you of life, but we have the privilege to be life-givers, to add value to them. My nephew and I were traveling in Northern Ireland years ago. We were heading toward a town called Inniskillen. And it was a very frosty, icy morning. And uh, we'd driven very, very slow, about 100 miles from Belfast. And the road was really slippy. We knew it was dangerous. And we had to go to a very important appointment. And uh, we were traveling really slow. And just as we come close to the town, quite a broad road, and we thought we've arrived safely, but when we no longer said that, then the car started to go right and left and right. And then it turned right around and started to fly backwards. Next thing we knew, we were over the ditch, upside down in the field. And uh, we were shocked, but thank God we weren't injured, but the car was badly damaged. And the thing that surprised us was that there was these group of maybe five or six men who come, came from nowhere and jumped the fence, jumped the ditch over into the field and they got us out of the car because the doors were damaged we couldn't get out and they got us out of the car in case there was a fire 
And, uh, and then they stayed around and they got us the necessary machinery to get the car pulled out, put it back on its wheels and went on the road, tied the door with ropes and kept our appointment, drove on. And I said to my nephew Roy, who's a pastor, I said, that's what we're about in life. We're about getting people out of the ditch. We're not leaving people in the ditch. For whatever reason, they may be in the ditch because they made wrong choices. They fell, they made mistakes, they maybe even had bad setbacks with health problems. But we are not leaving people in the ditch. We want to get them out of the ditch, back on the road, so they can become life-giving leaders again. And God Almighty is a master at getting people out of the ditch. Amen. We are here to say to people, it's not over. You can be lifted out of the ditch and start again. Because God is not finished with you. He still has a purpose. Amen. And so Paul made this clear. The things that I considered so valuable, my wonderful Jewish heritage, my great education, my status in life before all who had honor from, he said, I counted but loss, because I have seen something that there's no comparison. I have seen Jesus. I have known him. He's transformed my life. And that is what we're about. Some people say to us, why do you travel to Africa? For ten years we traveled all over Africa holding life-giving leadership conferences for thousands of leaders. It came about to one man, I was sharing with Apostle Williams last night, how that one pastor came from Nairobi. He was with a pastor in Belfast, and they came to one of our breakfast meetings. We would hold breakfast meetings and dinner meetings, leaders of all denominations together. And uh, after the meeting was over that morning, a local pastor came forward and brought this gentleman from Nairobi and he spoke to us at the front and said, could you ever consider coming to Nairobi for a leaders conference? And I had to be honest and say, I've never considered it. I don't have any feeling about it at the moment. But I said, what I will do is I will promise to pray. And if God leads us to come, we'll come. We were broadcasting all over different parts of Africa at that time, deciding your destiny programs. And we knew thousands and thousands of people were watching it in Kenya. And he was keen for us to have a conference for leaders. But 12 months later, we had had an invitation from government leaders and business leaders in Nairobi to come not to preach the gospel, but to speak to leaders about leadership in business and having integrity in business. And President Moy at the time invited us to his parliament there, and we shared there. And then we had, uh, I think, about 60 or 70 people in a hotel, which we'd been invited to speak to. And there were government leaders and judges and so forth. So about the climate for change. And so I, I spoke on creating a climate for change. And I told them we had to have change in Northern Ireland, the concept of private health care, looking after people in high-quality nursing homes and providing because it had not happened before in something. And so we had to have a 
complete change of thinking. Uh, in those days, they thought it was a crap love going into private health care. That was the kind of thinking. Then we were due to speak to about seven or 8,000 leaders in a conference center. And then we were due to have two days of mission in Yohora Park. The facility holds 200,000 people. Our first time, I thought we, we'll be fortunate if we see 20,000 come. But anyway, the Lord moved in such a mighty way that the first little meeting where we had 60 people, Hindus, Muslims, all kinds of people, and they said, don't preach the gospel, but I said, but can I share my story? And they said, absolutely. So when I shared the story about business and principles to live by, uh, I said, but I must tell you about the greatest transformation that ever happened when I personally had a divine encounter with Jesus, the Son of the living God. And he changed my life forever. I was depressed. I was sad. I was suffering with tuberculosis. I had no hope. I had no future. But when I found Jesus, he transformed my whole life. And I've never been the same that's why I'm here. And I said at the end, would any of you like to accept Jesus? In the middle of that. And 11 hands were raised up. The first one was a Hindu leader, a famous man. He was very wealthy. He was also in government. And whenever he raised his hand, everybody gasped. You know, they were shocked. He, being so well known, had awakened the news media Somebody ran out and told the media. The media came and he was surrounded us. How can this man turn from Hinduism? And the headlines in the paper the next day was from Hinduism to Christ. And through that one man, the media spread the word abroad. And uh, we saw several others come to salvation. But anyway, out of that, we had the Ahura Park. Very first visit, they estimated 200,000 came. And out of that, we were brought into other areas across Africa, cities like Mombasa, and all through Tanzania, including Muslims, believe it or not, they invited me to come on their network. And we preached the gospel and shared the reality of salvation. And we also were taken to many different countries for the next ten years. So... Life-giving leaders, when they connect, the result is there's increase of the kingdom and transformation happens. Now, if you look at Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, maybe we can put it up. It's a story, again, that's very familiar. Elisha became a life-giving leader, and there was a lady who was very disadvantaged, the wife of a man from a company of prophets, she cried to Elisha, You're sure my husband is dead, and you know that he reverenced the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? In other words, what can I do? Tell me, what have you got in the house? She said, Your servant have not anything but a little jar of oil. And then he replied, go around your neighbors, get empty jars, don't ask for just a few, bring those vessels, shut the door on you and your sons, pour out the oil, and when each one is full, put it to the side. 
and you know the story. She left and did exactly as was told, shut the door on her and her sons, brought the jars, and they poured out and kept pouring out and kept pouring out, and the miraculous supply continued to be provided. And it didn't stop until there was no more verses. Verse 7 uh, says that she told us, she told the man of God what happened and all the, all the vessels were full. And he said, go and sell the oil and live you and your sons off the rest. So God is a good businessman. Yes. <laughs> That's he, he's not just into preaching and teaching uh-huh. about how to come to salvation. He wants to take care of every area of your life. He wants to turn your need into seed. So it can increase and increase and increase. And this little lady, she was just at the very lowest ebb in her life. I remember my own mother, who raised nine of us, seven boys and two girls, being so under pressure because my father was not a believer. He was greatly influenced by alcohol, and he had an accident and lost his sight, became very depressed and very aggressive. And so the home atmosphere was very hostile, and we lived in fear, and we didn't know much joy or peace when we were growing up. And my mother used to say, I'm heartsick, sore, and tired. <laughs> she felt the burden, kind of like this little woman. She had lost her husband. She had lost her good name because she couldn't pay her bills. She now was about to lose her sons. And she had absolutely no hope. But she cried unto the man of God, Elisha. I'm so glad this life-giving leader had something to say to her. Amen. Yeah. Life-giving leaders have something to say right. about our financial needs. Mm-hmm. Have something to say about the problem in the family. Something to say to government. We, as life-giving leaders, can address every subject in every facet of life. And it's not just about spiritual matters, although that's the key thing. God Almighty wants to do something about our financial needs, about the needs of our family, about our kids that are about to be stolen, about the state of the nation. God Almighty wants us to know we are life-giving leaders, and we can turn people's pain into gain. In fact, he turned this lady into a life-giving leader, because she began to see how she could use what God had given her. And she began to see the value of her sons. And she began to see that there was a way that nobody else saw that her family could be saved and her boys could be kept out of slavery. We need to stand up and say, we're not about to sell or give our sons and daughters over to the devil. We need to reclaim the young people of the nation We need to speak favor over the nation and not negativity. And believe God that we are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. And expect good things to happen. You see, I often say this. Our problem is not really the problem. It's our attitude to the problem that's the problem. We all have problems. But God has a plan. Our attitude to the problem will determine what will happen. 
Nobody could have been less likely to be used of God than I. Youngest of nine of the family. The very minimum to survive on. Sometimes not enough food to go to school. Poverty background. Yes, we had a farm. My father had a farm and some cattle. But we lived in a time of great adversity, great pain. But through the salvation of my mother and the radical transformation of my mother, it changed the whole family. She was a mighty life giver. She wouldn't tell you that, but she knows what happened through the grace of God. So sometimes we look for life givers among the great popular politicians or great international speakers or people we would consider mighty people. But a little lady became a life giver here. My mother became a life giver. And she led her family to every single one of the seven boys and two girls were radically changed and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And every one of them were completely changed from the generation before, which had no time for God. And I believe we can say as life-giving leaders, whatever's gone on in previous generations, there may be curses, there may be all kinds of witchcraft or evil worship and idol worship, but we can stand up and say, it ends, up, it ends now. We're bringing in a new life. The leadership of Jesus Christ. And so Elijah said, What shall I do for you? He can open doors that nobody can shut and shut doors nobody can open. If you got Jesus, if you got his great salvation and eternal life, you are a life-giving leader. Amen. And don't underestimate what you've got. Don't underestimate what you've got. Sometimes we do feel down. Many of you will have heard of Or Roberts, I'm sure. Or Roberts, a great evangelist, used mightily in the healing revivals in the 1950s and 60s. And now we know of R. Roberts University. But R. Roberts made this statement one time. He said, I'm so low that if I died in this condition, you'd have to jack me up to bury me. He said, I felt so low. And every man of God and every woman of God who have been mightily used now there had to be a time in your life when you felt so low. You felt so down. No hope. Yeah. I've been there. Yes. I saw it in my own home as a child when there was everybody was emigrating. No employment in Ireland. People were coming, you know, going to America and going to Australia. Some coming to England. No employment. But through the prayers of one person, 
who became a life-giving leader, didn't know it, but she was. She said, not one of my children are going to hell. Every one of them are going to be saved. <laughs> Some of my older brothers, they were getting into alcohol and, and heading down the same road as my father and bound by the same problems and depression. But she, by the grace of God and through faith, became a life-giving leader. And she said, that's enough. It's over. You're not going that way. And through prayer and through speaking the word and through reading the Bible in the house, she saw every single one of them born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and transformed by the grace of God. You know one of the verses of Scripture she used to share with us? Romans 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We never forgot that. If we live after our own desires of the flesh and our own ways, and if our motive is just for our own benefit, it'll kill us. But if we will honor his calling and commitment and live in glorifying his name, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We will have that peace. We will have that life. We become life-giving leaders. And this woman here in Second Kings is a picture of our world today who is in crisis in the family, financially, loss, loss, loss. But Elisha, he's our example as a life-giving leader. He put a stop to it. And what he revealed to her showed her that she never needed to have lack for the rest of her life. Sell the oil pay your bills, and live for the rest of your life off the rest of it. I want to tell you, Jesus has provided everything you need to give you a long, victorious life. Every debt, everything that was brought upon us through the curse of sin has been dealt with at the cross. Something's been done about our loss. (laughs) Amen? We suffered loss of our relationship with God. We suffered loss of our peace of heart and mind and then we suffered with guilt and with condemnation and Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he'll put you down and keep you down but Jesus came to lift us up and Elisha didn't come upon her and say why has this bad thing happened to you, your husband's dead he didn't come and point the finger and say your children must have been wicked because they're not going to be taken from you, no he didn't say that He said, no. He said, what have you got? He turned her attention off from what she hadn't got to what she had got. And I want to tell you, we've all got glorious possibilities, potential, because of our relationship with Jesus. All the wisdom you'll ever need, all the connections you'll ever need. God's a master at giving divine connections. And you know, Evelyn and I could keep you for days telling you, the challenges we've had. <laughs> yes, we've had some amazing victories. We've, by the grace of God, been able to minister to millions, and multiplied millions. We've seen great success in business, but we've also seen very difficult low times when we faced crises where we were short of millions of pounds. And I may tell you some more detail of that later, but Evelyn was told, your days are numbered. The cancer has taken over. And she had a growth in her throat. 
could not swallow, hadn't been able to drink or eat for 10 days. And the specialist said, her days are numbered. He let the letter out for the weekend, thinking it was the last time. And so, she was so weak and so hardly able to walk, but we had a prayer meeting with just two or three other people. And we began to pray and thank God that by his stripes she's healed. It looked to be the end. We'd been preaching, holding healing evangelistic crusades, and people were saying, cancel this because it's going to be embarrassing. Your wife's going to die in the middle of some of these crusades. People, like your believers, told us that. We continued by the grace of God. That night when we met with friends and prayed together, we felt such a healing and anointing in our hands. And the growth were still there after the meeting. She still couldn't swallow. We went home. She was due to go back into hospital in a day or two. She was living in blood transfusions. But the next morning, whenever she got up, I made some breakfast, toast, tea, in faith, and she came down the stairs, and she was able to drink and have toast for the first time. Totally healed. The growth was gone. Healed by the power of God. They took her back for weeks and months and years, checking x-rays, no sign of the cancer, no more need of blood transfusions, totally healed, and they were puzzled. And they brought her down before a room full of student doctors and said, ask any question you want. We can't understand what's happened. And she said, it's a miracle from God Almighty. Hallelujah. He's a miracle working. God. So I tell you, we've known the depths of despair. We've known what it is to have death sentences put on both of us. And maybe tell you more tonight about that. What happened when I was told took a promise me nothing in 2003. But God can turn your pain into gain. What would have happened if Elisha had had nothing to say. But he had a relationship with the Lord. That's why it's so important to walk close to God. Because we don't know what day or hour we'll have the chance to be a life-giving leader to somebody else. And we're here on this earth as life-giving leaders. So, When I was growing up in the church magazine in the Republic of Ireland, there was a little article, and I always remember part of the phrase that said, to lose your wealth is much, to lose your health is more, to lose your soul is such a loss that no one can restore. The devil is a robber. We've all lost Sometimes we've lost our peace. Sometimes we've lost our reputation. Sometimes we've lost our health. Sometimes we've lost wealth. But the good news is, God is a master at turning pain into gain. He's a master at restoring what the devil has stolen. He is restorer. 
and weaken Bidlad for that. Luke chapter 15 shows the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Jesus talked a lot about loss. And he showed us that he was come to seek and to save that which was lost. So I tell you, this country needs life-giving leaders like never before. The hurt, the brokenness of this land, and I'm thankful you're here. As life-giving leaders, you're going to make a mighty impact. Your influence is going to grow and increase. There's going to be a surprise at the amount of life-giving leaders that will be raised up from this place. Not only preachers and pastors, but in business, people in the health service, people in every facet of life who are linked to the Almighty and who will tell people what they've got, not what they haven't got. We want to tell people, you've got more than you think. Because Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive in us today. No one gets lost on purpose. People get in the ditch for all kinds of reasons. But it's not our job to point the finger and condemn them. It's our job to get them out of the ditch. And get them back on the road. Everyone has great potential. Every one of us needed mercy. Every one of us have made mistakes and did the wrong thing. But his mercy endures forever. The blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin. And God Almighty wants us to realize we all can be life-giving leaders. Not just preachers, pastors, evangelists. Not even business leaders. Every mother, you can be a life-giving leader at school, in the university, in college, on the streets. Every single one of us can be. So what did Elisha say to her to do? As I said earlier, he asked two questions. What do you want me to do for you? And secondly, what have you got in the house? Then he gave her four commands that brought about a turnaround. He said, go and get empty vessels. Bring them together. Secondly, come in and shut the door. Thirdly, pour into the vessels. And lastly, go and sell the oil and pay the debts and live for the rest of your life. When we bring vessels together, like in this conference, when we bring people together with a vision of what they can become for Jesus, then faith begins to come alive and possibility, possibilities are endless. So let's bring the vessels together. Then he said, shut the door. You know, we live in a world with such interference. Elisha said, shut the door on you and your sons. Shut out the interference. With all these gadgets today, especially young children and teenagers, they're so busy with so many of the gadgets, they can hardly speak to their parents anymore. We need to pray over our generation that they will communicate with each other and not be so occupied with the social media, with all the gadgets and all the games. We need to have fellowship again around the family table. Amen. And so it wasn't a mistake that he told her to shut the door, shut out the interference, 
We are expecting God to give America, that's what he was really saying, prepare for divine supplies. Don't be looking to man's ability. God Almighty had a plan. She had this oil all the time and didn't know the value of it. And now it's time to start pouring. And when we get our faith in forward gear and start to be part of the answer to the needs of our generation, that is when there is a, an exercise of faith. And when we exercise our authority, God releases his ability. She exercised the authority God had given her through the word of Elijah. So exercise your authority and God releases ability, divine ability, into your life. And so, the vessels kept coming, the oil kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And then she said to one of her sons, bring me more vessels, bring me more vessels. There's no more vessels. That was when the oil stopped. So let's continue to vessels. Let's continue to believe for increase in all the activities of this wonderful ministry, in the various outreaches for hurting people, in the various training programs, in the various activities. More vessels are coming in. We pour in the oil, and they come out of pain into gain. And she, the lady herself here, she became a life-giving leader and led her family from poverty and hopelessness and death to be people who could share the reality of what they had in the house. What have you got in your house? Some people in, in their home, all they have is strife, division, argument, hopelessness. But we as life-giving leaders have the privilege of having the wonderful anointing of the Holy Spirit. The wonderful oil of joy. Amen. The wonderful presence of God Almighty. His wisdom, His power is in you as a believer. You've got something in your house that will keep you alive. And not only keep you alive, but make you a life giver for other people. And we have this in the life of people like Joshua. Each one of these people were life-giving leaders who reached out beyond themselves. And so let me give you a few key points as I come toward the end of my message that I believe will help us in relation to this woman who had lost everything, lost her reputation, lost her husband, lost her income, was about to lose her sons. She was on a losing spiral downward without hope. But she met the man of God, Elisha. And she instantly believed what he said. And that changed everything. Number one, the cry for change. It says she cried to the man of God, help. You know, change is on the march and headed in our direction. Change will come whether we prepare for it or not. So we might as well prepare for good change and lead the change. Amen? Prepare for the good change that we will be a people who hear what God has planned and lead our families into the change God has. We will lead government. We will have an influence on leaders in government and in community and in college, university, in every facet of life. 
change. If we just get scared of change, we don't do anything, only make it worse. But we can take our place and say, we are going to bring good change. Elisha could have looked at this woman and said, what can I do with that hopeless situation? But he had a word from the life giver of life givers. (laughs) And he said, what have you got? It's time to take people's focus off what they haven't got or what they've lost. And look, you're still living, you're still breathing. You've got so much going for you. You can have a good attitude. We remember one of the great presidents of America, Roosevelt, the first lady, his, his wife, she said that no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Correct. <laughs> no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. You see, people may try to make you feel hopeless, and the devil is the master at it, but Jesus came to lift us up and say, you're a life giver. You may have lost a lot, you may have suffered a lot, you may be under threat, it may seem what you've got is worthless, but I want to tell you, every one of you are valuable and precious in the sight of Almighty God, and he's not over with you, he's not finished. You have potential to be a life giver in a new and glorious way. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Cry for change. Jesus used this in Luke chapter 18 verse 7. He told the story of an unjust judge who wouldn't give justice to this woman and she kept coming and kept coming and would not give up and would not give up. He didn't care about people. He had no concern. He was unjust. But the Bible says that she wore him down to helplessness and subdued him by repeated attacks, one translation says. She would not stop. She kept coming. Give me justice. Give me justice. He could not get her to go away. And he said, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her of her adversary. And it says, Jesus said, shall not God avenge his own elect who cried day and night before me? God will bring change in Britain. We are the people with the power. We can see a turnaround where the scriptures will be honored again, where Britain will be Great Britain again, where we will see an awakening that will turn people from deception that's happening at the moment and recognize that God is still Lord and he's the one who should rule and reign in this country and he must not be ignored. And as we make laws that are contrary to scripture, it is time for us to call for change. Yes. This lady called for change. Exodus 2:23. we hear the cry of the children of Israel. The cry came up before God as they were in bondage in Egypt. And God said, I will come down and deliver you and bring you up into a large land flowing with milk and honey. We have a cry for change going up. We have a call. We're not going on like this. It's time for change. It's time for the family to be healed. It's time to honor the Lord again. It's time to speak the word of God. And we need to take responsibility. Winston Churchill once said, the secret of greatness is responsibility. The secret of greatness is responsibility. When we take our responsibility as believers and say, no, we're not going with that. This country will be different. We will have godly leaders. We will have God's choice in government. 
We will have leaders in business that are people of integrity. We will have pastors that honor the Lord and are in it for the kingdom and not for themselves. We will see change come. We will take responsibility and speak out and stand up for righteousness. And we will be life-giving leaders. Secondly, she still had hope. Can you imagine this woman? They were a godly family, obviously, under the Jewish religion, they kept the law. And her husband had been a godly man. And now he died suddenly, and there was no inheritance left to cover the cost of looking after the children. But she still had hope, even after the loss. Sometimes you can lose hope when you have a big loss. We were in Italy ministering some time back. We had our television crew with us and we were filming. And as one of our team was about to get in the taxi at the hotel coming back to the airport, he'd put in all of the footage that we'd filmed for the event, in all of our TV cameras and all of our equipment, and he put it in the trunk or boot of the car. And then he remembered he forgot something, so he ran back into the hotel to get it. And when he came back, in Naples this was, the taxi driver had driven off with all our television cameras and gear and footage, and we lost a lot. Now, we were after pouring our hearts and souls out, and we were going to use that footage for our programs. So it hit us very hard. When you have a big loss like that, it can be a very difficult thing. But we need to keep our hope alive. Because one setback is not enough to stop us. The devil may do his worst, but his worst is not enough. We will rise again. Amen. You may fall seven times, but you rise again. It's time to rise. It's time to turn your pain into gain and get on with your calling. Still at hope. I love what it says in Philippians 1, 12. It says that Paul in prison... He's in one of these horrible prisons. And he wrote to the church. He said, I want you to know the things that have happened unto me have turned out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. Furtherance. The thing the devil did to stop him and ruin him, he said, it's turned out for the furtherance. Hallelujah. So I don't know what's happening to you. I don't know what challenges you're facing. But if you keep your faith in forward gear, and recognize what you've got in your spirit. What have you got in your heart? He's given you it. Then it says in that same chapter of Philippians 1, verses 19 through 21, he says, I know this will turn to my salvation because of your prayers and earnest expectation and hope. Mm. Earnest expectation and hope. This will turn around. It looked like everything was going against them. But he says, this is temporary problems. Amen. Never treat short-term problems as permanent. Only the will of God is permanent. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is subject to change. But the will of God shall prevail. And the devil has tried to wipe the church out since it was birthed. And he's tried everything. But the the church is flourishing. In China today, there's an amazing wave of salvation. Multitudes coming to salvation. No matter what the enemy tries to do, it'll turn out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. 
1 John 3, 3 says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So when we keep our hopes alive, it will affect the way we live our lives. Number three, she had a relationship. It's no wonder the devil attacks relationships. We've had this attack in Northern Ireland where one community against another, people speaking ugly about each other. But we need to highly value relationships. I've often said it before. Life's assets, life's greatest assets is not money. It is not property. It is not even wonderful education, and that's very important. Life's greatest assets is relationships. And this woman had relationships. Her family had a testimony that they feared the Lord. Her husband left no legacy of money, but he left a legacy of relationship. It's not what we leave to our children that matters. It's what we leave in our children that matters. What are we leaving in them? What inheritance? What investment? First Timothy 6.19 says we're to lay up a good foundation against the time to come. Lay up a good foundation against the time to come. Let's build good relationships. Let's honor the family, our brothers, our sisters, our children, our people in our lives. Let's highly value them. Let's add value to them. Relationships is great. Life's greatest as Number four, I'll close. She knew her source. When she had a crisis after the death of her husband, when they told her they were going to take her sons away, when she had no more money to pay her bills, she didn't run to the witch doctor. She ran to the prophet Elisha. That's right. And she said, man of God, here's my problem. Can you help? We need to maintain a relationship with God every single day. Listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Honoring each other. Thinking, how can I add value to other people? And that's what God has led us to do. To help church leaders, to help business leaders, to empower people everywhere we go. So they're lifted out of the ditch. And the relationship that we enjoy, they're going to enjoy. She knew her source. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. It says, our sufficiency is of God. We're not sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We need to know our source. And for those who may be listening that don't know the Lord, remember what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only one way. People are saying, oh, there's several ways. No, there's only one. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Number five, she discovered what she had. It's our job to show people what they've got. It's our job to show them what Jesus provided. It's our job to say to people that feel of nothing, do you realize you're included in the will of God? Redemption has included you. It's our privilege to show leaders you can do more. You have greater potential than you're utilizing. You have got more than you think you've got. Not through our works, not through pride. No, we must stay humble at the feet of Jesus. But he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter 1 says. So we need to be showing people what you've got. That's what Elisha did. 
said, what have you got in the house? Oh, nothing only. Sometimes we minimize what we've got. I say again, value your wife, your husband, your children. Value your relationships. Value the people you meet on the street. Value even people who don't like you. Pray for them. Pour out the love of God. Discover. She discovered what she had. And we empower others by doing so. Proverbs 21.20 says there's oil in the dwelling place of the wise. Don't you like that? Oil in the dwelling place of the wise. Let's not just have enough oil for ourselves, but let's see how we can get this oil flowing to other people. The world is hungry and they're searching with immoral activity, with drug and alcohol abuse, with so many things. But once they find Jesus and are filled with the love of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, what a treasure. We need the oil of the anointing of God. So what have you got in your house? You have more than you think. Use it. Highly value what you've got. Be thankful. We're in a generation that's unthankful, unholy. And the more thankful we are, the stronger we'll be. Grateful people will always be life givers. We have the choice to have a good attitude every day. We can't all stop what happens to us and challenges to come. But we can decide what attitude we'll have toward what happens. We can have a good attitude. We have good opportunity. We have great salvation. We have the source of all wisdom in all life. And he is for us today. Proverbs 11.24 says, There is that scatters and yet increases. There is which withholds more than is meat, but it tends to poverty. Another translation says, The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. <laughs> but the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. The world of the stingy. <laughs> you have a generous man here in Apostle Williams. Big people, big hearts, big givers. We've had the privilege of pouring millions into Africa and into other nations like Romania and Italy. We broadcast every single day in Italy. There's a moving of God in Italy. We are here to do something of eternal value. Number six, you're still listening. Refuse to be distracted. Shut the door. And bring the family together. That's when the oil flows. And lastly, number seven, faith and obedience. This lady who had suffered so much loss, she could have been so discouraged that she would never have lifted her head. But she showed faith and obedience. She immediately went and got the vessels. She must have had a good relationship with her neighbors. It's, good, it's important to have a good relationship with your neighbors. And she got all of those vessels brought together. Second Timothy 2.21 says we shall be vessels to honor and fit for the master's use. She was instant in her obedience and acting on her faith. What she had looked insignificant. But God uses insignificant things to do big jobs. Amen? Big doors swing on small hinges. <laughs> we have amazing ability. It's within us today. 
The kingdom of God is within us. Let us not keep it within us. Let us remember as a closure this little message, this little story. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents of America, he was asked by a foreign leader one day, are you not afraid of America being overcome by some great foreign power? And he replied, no, I'm not afraid of another nation or a foreign power. If America is ever destroyed, it will be destroyed from within. And the same is true of us. If we keep the victory within, if we keep a strong faith and our hearts right and keep forgiving those who offend us and hurt us, if we keep a strong relationship, if we keep winning within, we will win without. You cannot be overcome when you win within. If we ever destroy this because we let it destroy us within, we will win without because we're life-giving leaders and we keep our relationship strong. It's our responsibility to keep our passion hot for Jesus. The kingdom of God is within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To God be the glory. Give the Lord a hand. Wow. Jesus says it's not what goes into you that defiles you, but what comes out of you. That last statement that um, Dr. spoke, you know, mentioned, is just like wraps up everything. We cannot be destroyed by anything outside. Impossible. We can only be destroyed by what comes from inside us. I believe that's the reason why the Bible says, be strong in the Lord, therefore, and in his mighty power. Wow. I, I sat here today and he was speaking, and a lot of things were going on in my head. I'm writing lines of action that I will activate from next week. Amen. It is interesting. I will thank God for Dr. Stewart. And I'm sure that we have all been blessed by this ministry. Well, if you're watching us on the television or live, I want to say to you that this message that you have had from the servant of God, Dr. Stewart, is a message for the season. And as I have been so blessed by this message, to the extent that I have written lines of action that will begin by next week. I believe you too that you have gotten instructions from God that will turn your finances around, turn your spiritual life around, and turn your vision into reality. Until the next time we come across your path, remain blessed. Well, thank you, ministers of